Father, your word tells us that we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. That we were following the course of this world, that we were following the prince of the power of the air. But you, because you are rich in mercy, made us alive with your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you because you are way better at saving than we are at sinning. We praise you that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That you have not just provided grace and mercy for today, that you have already provided it for tomorrow. And Father, we rest and we praise you for the provision that's been made for us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that because your wrath against sin was poured out on him, your mercy and love could be poured out on us. Never let us take that lightly, Father. Never let us become numb and indifferent to the reality of your mercy. We praise you, Father, that it is new with every single morning because we need it every single day. And we rejoice in that mercy today. So, Father, as we come to your word now, we ask that you would use it to illuminate our hearts and our minds, to turn our attention to the perfection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, use it to stir our affections. Father, blot out from our minds any distraction that's hindering us from being completely focused on you in this moment. Lord, would we turn our full attention now to your word? Sanctify us in the truth of your word. Edify your church. Glorify your name. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be in verses 19 through 30 if you're not there already this morning. Um, If you're here with us today for the very first time, we as a church family over the last couple of months have been uh, walking verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And so we are uh, almost at that halfway point, Lord willing, we'll be wrapping this up uh, as we now uh, begin to look towards closing out 2020 again today, looking at Philippians 2 verses 19 through 30. Uh, It would be very, very difficult to name someone who has had a greater amount of influence on uh, Christian thought and philosophy over the course of the last hundred years than C.S. Lewis. Whether it's uh, the children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia, that many of us grew up reading or have continued to read even as grown-ups, no shame there, uh, or his more philosophical apologetic works like uh, Mere Christianity, The Problem of Pain, The Abolition of Man, uh, The Screwtape Letters. Uh, Lewis made uh, just a myriad of contributions to Christian thought, and you would be very, very hard-pressed to find someone uh, who has shaped Christian thought more influentially over the last hundred years than C.S. Lewis. And it's not just about the contributions that he made to the church. Uh, He was not just one of the greatest Christian minds, but just period, one of the greatest philosophical minds of the last hundred years. So even made a number of contributions uh, to secular academia, was very widely respected even by those uh, who were opponents of him. And so it might surprise you to know that when he passed away, uh, it took several days for the news of his death to be reported. He had had a a global influence through his writing, and it's not that his death was insignificant, and it's not even that it was overlooked, but it just so happens that the day of his death, uh, which we'll see the, the 57th anniversary of next week is November 22nd, 1963, 
there happened to be another significant death of another major historical figure on November 22nd, 1963. A few people in here uh, probably know what I'm talking about, and that was the death of who? John F. Kennedy. So it was on the same day that C.S. Lewis passed away that uh, John F. Kennedy was riding in his uh, motorcade when his life was taken by Lee Harvey Oswald. And so again, it's not that the death of C.S. Lewis was insignificant. It's just that when you compare the death of a writer to the death of the president, uh, one is going to take precedence over the other. And uh, over the last several weeks, we've talked a lot about how the book of Philippians is a deeply Christological letter. Jesus Christ, even as this is a letter written at the hand of the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ is the central figure of the book of Philippians. We see the name of Jesus uh, spoken some f- almost 40 times in these very, uh, four very short chapters of this book. And so when we get to verses 19 through 30, uh, this almost seems to be a little bit more anticlimactic than the rest of the book. We, we have some of the most frequently quoted scriptures in all of the book of Philippians, from Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. At the end of Philippians, or middle Philippians 2, rather, we have uh, that, that powerful verse we read a couple weeks ago, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We see Philippians 3, Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, we see all of these widely quoted verses, famous quoted verses that, that we, uh, we tend to quote. We put them on coffee mugs, we put them on t-shirts, we put them on bumper stickers. Uh, And yet, in the midst of one of the most frequently quoted books of the Bible, we also have one of the most overlooked passages of the Bible. And so today, we're going to be looking at the example of two biblical figures whose stories often go overlooked. And it's not because they're not significant. It's just that they, like all of us, pale in comparison to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. But we don't need to gloss over their example. Many ways, uh, verses 19 through 30 might not seem to pack the same punch, but what we're going to see uh, in uh, this just dozen or so verses that we're going to look at this morning is that the Lord has always advanced his kingdom through the humble, quiet example of men like Timothy and Epaphroditus, whose examples we're going to look at this morning. It was C.S. Lewis who said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I've titled this message today, Textbook Humility, because what we see in verses 19 through 30 are the examples of two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who think of themselves less. And because they think of themselves less, Christ is known all the more. And so what we're going to see this morning through their example is that the gospel compels us to live lives that are marked by humble service and generous giving as we work to advance the cause of Christ. So let's read again this morning from Philippians 2. Uh, look first at verses 19 through 24. Apostle Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust that the Lord, in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So, uh, again, we're going to look at two examples of textbook humility here from these passages. The first example we're going to look at this morning is that of Timothy. Now, uh, just a little bit of backstory here. If you don't remember, just need a little bit of a recap here. If you remember back a couple months, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter alongside Timothy. He's mentioned as a joint party in six of Paul's letters. Uh, Timothy is first mentioned in Acts chapter 16 while Paul was on his second missionary journey. He had a, Ju- a Gentile father, a Jewish Christian mother, and he had been brought up 
in the faith under the teaching of his mother and his grandmother. And it's likely that Timothy came to faith in Christ by listening to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And so he has uh, been discipled personally by Paul. Paul, He's uh, served as a close ministry associate for many years. And so Paul uh, frequently refers to Timothy as a son in the faith. So we see through this language that, that Timothy is very, very close to Paul relationally and personally. These two had a very close relationship. And so we see in verse 9, uh, Paul hopes to send Timothy from Rome to visit them because he's eager to hear about how they've continued to grow in their faith. And Paul would much prefer to make this visit himself. But again, where's Paul writing this from? He's from prison, and you don't usually get like weekend passes when you're in a Roman prison. And so he's uh, going to send Timothy in his stead. But Timothy's young and, and maybe a little bit unproven in the eyes of Philippians. So in order to quell any sort of concerns about Timothy's qualifications, he gives the Philippian uh, le- listeners and readers here a really impressive condemnation in verse, or co- commendation excuse me, in verse 20. He says of Timothy, I have no one like him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now this phrase, no one like him, in some of your Bibles, it may be translated uh, as kindred spirit. I have no one else of kindred spirit. Kindred spirit means of one soul. Now listen, Paul had a very impressive ministry cast around him. He was surrounded by men like Barnabas and Mark and Titus and Silas, but Timothy stood out above the rest. And here's why he stands out above the rest. Paul shows that Timothy demonstrates first genuine concern. He will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. This stands out in stark contrast to many other leaders in the church. Verse 21, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now again, a little bit of recap from several weeks ago. You'll remember uh, that while Paul was writing in prison, there was a group of of rival ministers, if you will, uh, who saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to advance their own personal ministry platform. They were opportunists uh, who loved the fact that that Paul was now in prison because then uh, they could gain notoriety and acclaim for themselves through their preaching of the gospel. And so here, he distinguishes Timothy from those who are preaching the gospel out of purely selfish motives and for personal gain. You know, I think we, we've all, if you've been in the church any amount of time, unfortunately, we, we can see that even within the church, sometimes uh, our relationships can still be very, very superficial. You know, someone might come to us, they share a burden, a, a prayer concern with us, and, and we might give the appearance, you know, we might uh, briefly, uh, momentarily sort of change our body language and, and maybe furrow our brow a little bit and shake our heads and nod and say, oh goodness, oh goodness, and we listen and we listen and we listen. We might even pay some lip service and promise to pray, and yet how many have done this and we've moved on and never given it a second thought? And Paul says, Timothy's not that guy. Timothy's not that guy. He's the guy that if he's concerned, he looks concerned. No, he's genuinely concerned. If he says he's going to pray for you, he's absolutely going to pray for you. If he says he's going to follow up with you, he's going to follow up with you. And so uh, time goes by, and we might think about these things and, 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 and maybe think to ourselves, like, oh, like I, I probably need to pray for that person. I probably should contact them. I probably should check in. But oftentimes we just choose to occupy our minds with other things. We busy ourselves with other distractions. And Paul is just saying here, listen, Timothy's not that guy. He is genuinely concerned for you. He is not like these guys who are out here just trying to use you to build up their own personal ministry platform. He is a genuine example of a heart that bleeds for the church. I want you to turn with me for for just a moment uh, back to Matthew chapter 9 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I'm going to read here verses 35 through 39 because a lot of the language that's used here in in Matthew 9 is similar to the language that we see uh, in Philippians chapter 2. And what we see here is the example of Jesus and his true heart for people. 
his true heart, how he broke for people who were hurting and who were in need. This is the example of Jesus that we, that is, that's, that's fleshed out as well through the example of, of Timothy. Matthew 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Watch this, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. If you really dig into that word compassion, this is talking about a visceral reaction that Jesus had. It was an aching in his gut. It was an aching in his heart, an aching in his soul. He was, he was physically hurting over these people as he saw them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the picture that we see on display through the example of Timothy. This is a genuine concern. His heart aches for these people. His gut aches for his people. His soul aches for these people. He wants to come and he wants to do everything that he can to contribute to their spiritual growth and their joy in Jesus Christ. Paul had given this instruction back in verse 3. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And this is exactly what Timothy's doing. He sees the needs of others as greater than his own needs. Paul sees the needs of others as greater than his own needs. You think he loves having Timothy here when he's in prison? This is a son in the faith, someone that he had a deep relational bond with, someone who brought him tremendous joy. But Paul has a greater concern for the Philippian church. He can't go himself, and so he is going to send Timothy instead in his place. Christian humility requires that we lay down self-interest out of concern for the welfare of others. Because this is what was modeled for us in Jesus Christ. Go back to where we were two weeks ago in the example of Jesus. What does it say they did? It says he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He subjected himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was brought as low as he possibly could. A total emptying of himself. We see the example of Paul last week saying that he's willing to be poured out as a drink offering on the faith of others. What they, we see on display through the example of Jesus, through the example of Paul, through the example of Timothy, there's nothing self-serving about being a follower of Jesus. What we're called to do as, as followers of Christ, it's the continual emptying of ourselves for the sake of others in the same way that Christ has emptied himself for us. And I fear... Um, in many ways, I see this in my own life. I've seen this at times, unfortunately, in the life of our church. I, I feel like in many ways, we have become really, really good in the 21st century at numbing ourselves to the brokenness and lostness of this world. We've become really, really good at numbing ourselves to the lostness of this world. When you hear numbers like 2 billion people on this planet who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ— your numbers like 5 billion people who do not profess faith in Jesus Christ, 100,000 plus of those right here in our own county. Does that grieve you? Do you feel a burden for this? Does it hurt us? Does it break us? Do we feel the burden? Do we feel the weight of the lostness of this world? When, do, we, do we just see that as a statistic? Make it more personal. Do, do you see your family members? Do you see your loved ones? Do you see your friends who are lost and apart from Jesus Christ? Are we burdened for this? Or have we just kept scrolling? Just numbed ourselves to the, to the, the realities of the brokenness of this world just to continue turning a blind eye to our responsibility as followers of Jesus. We see the genuine dis, uh, display, concern displayed here by Timothy. And this is what we're called to display for one another is a genuine concern for our joy and our progress in the faith to not become numb and indifferent. Timothy did not demonstrate 
superficial interest. He embodied genuine concern. And then second, Paul shows that he demonstrated faithful consistency. Verses 22 through 24, Timothy, he's a young leader in the church. And so there was probably some concern on the part of the Philippians. It's like, Paul, like, we'd much rather you come. Are you sure this, this young guy, like, is he going to be okay? Are we, are we going to be all right here? Paul does everything he can to quell any sort of concern here because he's proven faithfulness in his gospel ministry and his service to the church. He's been putting in the day in, day out work of gospel ministry. So Paul has absolutely no reservations whatsoever about sitting him to serve the Philippian people. Uh, verse 22, Paul says that Timothy had served with him in the gospel as a son joined to a father. So this was almost like a family business here. Like Paul has the the gospel ministry that he started, that he still continued to operate even outside of prison, but it's not family business in the sense that like Timothy's just a goon and he raises up and his dad gives him the keys to the shop anyway. It's not like that. Like Timothy has proven his worth. He has been laboring hard day in and day out. Paul has no concerns. Verse 22, he says, he has served with me in the gospel. And this can uh, more literally be translated. He has slaved with me in the gospel. Go back to the beginning of Philippians chapter one. How did Paul and Timothy identify themselves in this letter? Bond servants, slaves of Jesus Christ. They have been pouring themselves out day in and day out for the ministry of the gospel, for the work of building up the church. Now, I, I don't say this this morning um, to, to be self-serving. I'm not doing this to be sympathy-seeking. This is just reality that I want to share with you from my heart this morning. Gospel ministry is hard work. It's hard work. Again, every, every time I say this, I know there's somebody in the room, you kind of roll your eyes. You're like, you don't live in the real world. You don't know what my job is. Let's sit down this week and talk about your schedule versus mine. And I, I, listen, I recognize this morning, like we got some like drill instructors in here. We got some pilots, like you, you face some intense pressures. Absolutely. And I totally respect that. But about 99.99% of the time, I have no problem sitting down and comparing schedules. It's, it's an immense pressure. Again, I'm not saying that to be self-seeking. Like we know what we signed up for. We, I've read the new Testament. I've read through church history. I know what we're getting into. And I know it's weird too. Cause like we live in this age of the celebrity pastor. Like, how's that going by the way? Like we live in that. And, and, and so, yeah, absolutely. There are those who seek to do this from platform. But listen, if you commit yourself to preaching the full counsel of this word, I promise this is not a glamorous position. I think sometimes you forget, even with pastors, um, you know, like we're called to, to be pastors, to be shepherds, but we're also sheep. Like, like we're, we're, we're dumb too. Like we, we mess up too. Like we still sin too. Like we are still smack dab in the middle of our own sanctification journey, just like everybody else. And, and sometimes I think too, like we, we kind of get this, this a little bit skewed in terms of uh, what a pastor is. Cause again, the word pastor does mean shepherd, but there's also more than one way to shepherd. Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. We studied Psalm 23 earlier this year. It's uh, his rod, it's his staff. that's guiding us and leading us and comforting us. I'm not so sure pastors like me are intended to be thought of as like human shepherds as much as we're like sheep dogs. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like it's the, the sheepdog does the work of shepherding, but he's not the actual shepherd. It's his job, like the sheep kind of stray away. And what's the sheepdog do? He just starts barking. It's like, get back to the shepherd. What are you doing over here? And, and so we, we do the work of shepherding, but like we also get distracted by squirrels. Like we, we, we make mistakes too. Like we need the shepherd to correct us just as much as, as anyone. Listen, it's, just, it's, it's long, hard, strenuous work. Uh, our office, I think it's, it's kind of fitting. Uh, it's, it's, if you've been to our office, you know, like there's an EMT station right on the other side. And, and I, I've likened serving full-time ministry. It's a lot like working at that EMT station. Sometimes the bell might ring just a couple of times. And what you have to do in the days where it's not ringing as much is you're preparing because you know the season is coming when it's going to ring and you better be ready. And some days the bell doesn't stop ringing. 
We carry a, a spiritual burden, a relational burden. Again, that the work of preaching week in and week out, it's, it's taxing and it's hard and it's difficult. But this is the example we see from Timothy. And this is what I would fully affirm to you with all of my heart today. It is absolutely more joyful to be a slave of Jesus Christ than it is to be a celebrity in the eyes of this world. On the very worst day that this offers me, because every single day, as, as ministers, as church staff, generally every single day, we are crossing paths with somebody who's having their worst day. And there's a burden that comes with that, but I'm telling you, there's greater joy in doing the day-in, day-out work of driving forward the gospel more than anything else that this world has to offer. And this is how Timothy has proven himself. He's proven this faithfulness. He has taken on this burden. Preaching the gospel is not popular. It was not popular in the first century context. It's not popular today in our context. It comes with a burden. But this is the work that we're called to, is to be faithfully devoted to the ministry that the Lord has given us. And we see that in the example of Timothy. Uh, Verses 25 through 30. Paul also says, he says, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So first example was Timothy. Second example that we see is the example of Epaphroditus. How many of you, before we read this uh, letter this morning, had the name Epaphroditus on your mind today? Again, probably not. Again, not that he's not insignificant, but uh, compared to the example of Jesus in the book of Philippians, just it seems uh, to pale a bit in comparison. But uh, Epaphroditus, he's a member of the church of Philippi, and you might remember from the beginning of this message series that uh, one of the primary reasons why Paul was writing the letter to the Philippian church was to update them on the condition of Epaphroditus. So uh, don't you just love people like this? I mean, just like a true servant. He is physically ill, this text tells us, to the point of death. And don't you love that person who, man, you call to check in on them, like physically, they're not doing well. Uh, we, we've got, I won't, won't name her by name, but one, one just precious lady in our congregation in particular that our, our staff loves to call and check in on. And, and so we'll call and we'll check in on her. And the immediate response is like, don't worry about me. How are you doing? And that's Epaphroditus here. Like he was physically ill to the point of death, but he's the type of person, he's more stressed about the fact that people are stressed about him. That, that's, that's where he is. That, that is his servant heart. He does not want anyone to be concerned about his physical condition. So he's like, Paul, please, will you write to tell these people that I'm doing okay? Will you please give them the word that I'm okay? I'm much more concerned about the fact that they're stressing over me. And so like Timothy, his life is marked by this faithful, humble service for the cause of Christ and the sake of others. Like Timothy, this is what he demonstrates. Paul shows that he demonstrates selfless service in verses 25 through 26. Paul calls him a brother. So he's referred to Timothy as a son in the faith. He calls Epaphroditus a brother. We need both. We we need those within the church who we are discipling, who we are pouring into our spiritual journey. But then we also just need those who are sort of on the same level that we are, who are just walking side by side with us, brothers and sisters in the Lord, who encourage us and build us up in our faith. And so Paul calls him a brother. He also calls him a fellow worker. 
Just like Paul and Timothy, he has put in the hard labor of gospel advance. He calls him a fellow soldier. Back in chapter 1, Paul said that he had been in prison for his defense of the gospel. So Epaphroditus has been fighting with him in defense of the gospel. He's been fighting with Paul for the advance of the gospel. And he also says that he was their messenger and his minister. They sent him to Paul to express purposes of supporting his ministry and encouraging him during this time of great difficulty. This is why he had been sent. It was to bribe Paul relational encouragement, spiritual encouragement, financial support from the church in Philippi uh, so that Paul's ministry continued to drive forward. So he's a brother, he's a worker, he's a soldier, he's a messenger, he's a minister. Epaphroditus lived a life that was marked by selfless service for the Lord and for others. And he also demonstrates Paul shows radical sacrifice. Verses 27 through 30, he was ill to the point of death. He laid down his own physical health for the sake of gospel advance. He was willing to put it to the side. The Lord, it says in his mercy, he healed him. Paul says this is really a mercy for him because Epaphroditus was such a close friend and he couldn't bear the thought of of losing such a close friend. So Paul commands him in verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Show him honor because he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The church, they desired to send gifts to Paul, but they had no way to get them there. And so here's Epaphroditus, probably a little bit more advanced in age, a number of of difficult physical uh, maladies that he's struggling with personally, yet in spite of all that, he takes on the responsibility to make the visit to Paul, to make the visit of delivering this offering to Paul so that the ministry of the gospel could continue to drive forward. So he puts the needs of the gospel above his own, puts his needs of Paul above his own, he puts the needs of the church above his own. And so even in poor health and at great risk to himself, he steps up and risks his own life for the sake of gospel advance. And again, this just reflects the example of Christ from earlier in chapter 2. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. He took the form of a servant. It says that Jesus became obedient to the point of death. And Epaphroditus takes himself to this exact same place. He's literally at the brink of death, working to labor in the advance of the gospel. And this is the picture that we see. It's, it's through this type of generous giving, it's through this type of radical sacrifice that the world most powerfully sees the message of the gospel on display because that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He put his own needs to the side and took our needs upon himself. He became our sin. He stood on our cross, took our place in death. He went to our grave. He rose again. He poured out his life. He was obedient to the point of death so that you and I could live. And you and I are called to to make the same type of radical sacrifice for the salvation of others because Jesus made the radical sacrifice for you and I to be saved. David Platt has said, I think just so powerfully, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. In the same way that Jesus Christ made the ultimate radical sacrifice so that we could be saved, we are called to radically sacrifice for the salvation of others. So how do we live out this model today? How how do we put this same textbook humility on display within our world uh, today? Just a few brief applications as we begin to wrap up our time this morning. First, uh, what it means for us today is that we need to be willing to send our best. We send out our best. Paul said of Timothy, I have no one like him. I mean, this was his number one guy. I have no one like him. As a son serves with his father, he says, Timothy has served alongside me. He calls Epaphroditus a brother. He's a key player in his ministry. But he says in verse 28, he is the more eager to send him that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. 
Paul does not hesitate even in his own difficult condition when it would have been easy for him to say, look, guys, I need you here right now. Like, I I can't lose anybody else. It's just me here. I'm trying to do everything that I can, but I can't afford to have you guys not here. Paul willingly, graciously opens up his hands, and he does his best to send them out. And this is the type of concern that we need to have as followers of Jesus. As we look out at the brokenness and lostness of the world, as we look out the needs even of other congregations, we need to be willing to send out our best. Now, uh, today, this worked out perfectly. We didn't plan it this way. We think the Lord probably planned it this way. We did not plan it this way. But uh, it just so happens this morning uh, that as we are gathered in, here worshiping together. Uh, Dustin Nally, who's our associate pastor, uh, Dustin is preaching out at Okatee Baptist Church. And um, Okatee is a, a sister church for us in the uh, Savannah River Baptist Association. And uh, I know they're not immediately local here to Beaufort. They're, they're sort of in between us and, and Bluffton and, and Hilton Head, really a strategic location there. And, and maybe you know the story just through its pastor, the community. Their pastor uh, tragically passed away unexpectedly not long ago. And so what, what Dustin and uh, I, we've had others even within our church family have stepped up just to help them in different ways they can. Uh, Dustin is preaching at Okatee Baptist Church this morning. Now listen, we have a million things we have going on as a church family. Dustin leads out our community groups. Uh, He's over business administration, finance. We're in the middle of a very important campaign right now. But can we truly call it the For the Gospel campaign if he only focuses on the building? He's got to be focused on the gospel. Like there's greater work outside of these walls than there is uh, more important than us building up walls of our own. The mission of the church has to continue going on. And in spite of everything we have going on as a church family, we have to be willing to open up our hands and send out our best. And to the glory of God, we've been blessed to have the privilege to be able to do this. And and especially as we walk through this campaign, church, this is a mentality we just need to go ahead and embrace. Because listen, if, if you tend to see your church as your church, closed fist, those are my people, these are our resources, this is our building, that is not the heart of God for this world. It is not our church, it is his church. You did not purchase this at the cost of your own blood. Jesus did. And he cares about this. He cares about his church. He cares about the brokenness and the losses of this world. And you and I need to care about what Jesus cares about. This was the mission statement for the life of Jesus. If you go uh, into Mark chapter 10, uh, Mark chapter 10, you you see the service of Jesus and and really the mission statement of his life, verse 42 He says in Mark 10 this, he says, Jesus called them and said to him, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be, to serve, uh, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve and to not be served. And so you and I, we have to do everything that we can to be pouring ourselves out continually in service, not just for the building up of our church, for the building up of the church. So we send out our best. And then second, we serve each other. This is what we're called to do. We serve each other. Paul and Timothy, they're serving together to advance the good news. Epaphroditus, he's serving Paul by ministering to his needs while he's in prison. Paul and Epaphroditus, they seek to serve the Philippian church by Timothy and Epaphroditus. The Philippians, they're serving Paul by supporting him financially and relationally so the ministry could continue. And serving each other reflects the Christ who served us. It's like they were in a competition to outserve one another. Like they're trying to one-up each other with their encouragement and their mutual support and they're building up in the faith. And this is important because the passage we just saw in Mark 10 shows us that in the kingdom of God, greatness is not determined by how many people you have serving you. Greatness is determined by your willingness to serve others. 
to empty yourself, to pour yourself out as a bondservant, as a slave. It's emptying ourselves and not exalting ourselves that's the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. And just like Timothy, this is what the gospel does for us. The gospel frees us from our involuntary slavery to sin, and it frees us up for voluntary service to the Savior. When we're in our sin, all we can do is sin. Even the good things that we do are born out of the pride of thinking that we can earn our own salvation. It's all sin in the eyes of God. And the gospel frees us from this. It frees us from ourself. It frees us from pride. It frees us from self-sufficiency. It frees us from focusing only on our needs. And listen, I just think this example is so important for us to see. The example of Jesus of pouring himself out. The example of Paul pouring himself. The example of, of, of uh, Timothy and of Epaphroditus. We desperately need to see this picture because in our consumer-driven, church-hopping culture where the only thing we seem to be committed to in the 21st century is not committing to anything, we desperately need this example. We need this example. As followers of Jesus, we should not just be showing up on Sunday morning. We should be going out into our world, looking at ourselves, not just as guests, but as hosts. who are doing everything that we can to pour ourselves out in service to others. And, you know, a lot of times we, um, we look at different church contexts, I think, in the 21st century, particularly more established traditional church contexts. And it's really easy, you know, to look at a church and just say, well, you know, they've, they've grown cold. They've grown dead. They've grown dry. Like nothing's going to change. The church isn't growing. They're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. It feels like they're going nowhere. And, and we'll kind of knock on that. But you know what that traditional, uh, simple, small church family probably has that a lot of modern churches are lacking? is a, a really faithful usher named Hank who stood at the back door every Sunday for the past 50 years because he sees it as a privilege to serve the Lord. And we are so missing that in the modern church right now. Like, we need to have a massive dose of modern follower of Jesus of get over ourselves. This is not about us. We pour ourselves out in service for others in the building up of the body of Christ. We send out our best. We serve one another. And third, we see from this that we need to sacrifice our comfort. We sacrifice our comfort. Again, we saw it two weeks ago. Christ emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. We saw last week Paul was willing to be poured out. We've seen today that Paul was willing to send Timothy, even though he was incredibly close to him. He's willing to send Epaphroditus, who's a close brother in the Lord. Timothy's willing to do the hard labor of gospel ministry. Epaphroditus is willing to risk himself, to risk his health and his comfort and his life. And this is important. We need to see because the calling to follow Jesus is not a call to comfort. It's a call to a cross. It is impossible to follow Jesus and carry a cross when we live in a comfort zone. We're going to have to be willing to take these steps where we sacrifice of our own comfort. We sacrifice of privileges and, and things that the Lord has blessed us with for the sake of the building up of the faith of others. Um, this past week, uh, myself, Grayson, and Cole, uh, we were at um, the 200th annual meeting of the, uh, Savannah, or, excuse me, of the South Carolina Baptist uh, Convention. We were up in Columbia for a couple of days. And um, while we were at this meeting, it just so happened um, that uh, there was a couple that was going to be there at the same time. I can't give their names, and I can't give specific details just for the sake of safety, and you'll find out why in just a second. But um, they uh, were, were youth leaders of mine when I was growing up. I was in their youth ministry, and they uh, have now become international missionaries in South Asia. And, um, and, and I just sat there. We, we talked for about 30, 45 minutes just catching up with one another and they were sharing me the, these stories. You know, South Asia, where they are, it's uh, currently one of the most unreached uh, parts of this entire world where so many have not even heard the name of Jesus. I mean, they were uh, sharing with me a number of the challenges they experienced with COVID this year. Um, weren't able to leave their apartment for almost three months. 
in, in one of the most densely populated cities in, in the entire world. I mean, just immense uh, challenges that they were, were facing every single week. You know, they, they shared the stories of, of how um, in this particular part of the world, there were stories of, of parents who were killing their own children because they didn't want to see them starve to death. It would give them dirt to eat so they could just have something in their stomachs. And you tell me these stories of how when they could typically have groups coming in, the groups would sometimes they'd go up into the hills or into the mountains, and, and they'd go out at times for, for hours all day, you know, 10, 12 hours, and, and people would come back from, from these groups and just in tears because they'd say, we shared the gospel today with 30, 40, 50 people, and not one of them had even heard the name of Jesus before. Church, I just wonder what it's going to take for us to grieve over that. Does this break us? Does this burden us? It's, it's so important for us to have this perspective because, again, we're, we're doing some important things for our church family right now, but we've got to be able to see beyond a building. We, we've got to be able to see the need that exists in this world and how every resource the Lord bless, blesses us with and entrusts us with, we need to see this as an opportunity to advance the gospel to every man, woman, and child from every tribe, tongue, and nation who has never heard the name of Jesus Christ. This is our responsibility. And so I want to challenge us. I want to ask us this morning, like, what are we willing to sacrifice? How are you willing to serve? How are you willing to give? Listen, if if you just check in and out every Sunday, and, and, and this is Christianity for you, it's one hour a week, my prayer is that you will become extremely uncomfortable with that. That you'll read the New Testament and you will see God's plan for his disciples and for his church and for his kingdom. And that we would, as we especially go into a new year, we would renew a a steadfast, steadfast commitment to the work, not just of this church, but to the church globally. To the work of advancing the name of Jesus Christ. John Piper's written in his book, Risk is Right. There are a thousand ways to magnify Christ in life and death. None should be scorned. All are important. But none makes the worth of Christ shine more brightly than sacrificial love for other people in the name of Jesus. This is what we're called to. Where are we willing to, who are we willing to send? Who's willing to go? Who's willing to step out? Where are we called? Where are we willing to sacrifice by serving and by giving? Not just of our resources, but of ourselves for the sake of gospel advance. It was uh, at the 200th annual meeting this past week um, that uh, a resolution was proposed. It was uh, to renew our focus, 2,000 churches around the state of South Carolina on uh, the Great Commission. This resolution was actually uh, presented on the Florida State Convention by Grace and our worship pastor this past week. And this is what the final statement of the resolution had to say. It said, we seek to recommit ourselves as South Carolina Baptists to unite around the Great Commission in all efforts to reach our neighbors, our state, our nation, and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer this morning that today the people of Cross Community Church would hear that statement and say, co-sign. That we would sign on with this, every man, woman, and child, and every tribe, tongue, and nation, that we would send, that we would serve, and that we would sacrifice, that we would give not just of our resources, but of ourselves for the sake of those who do not know Christ. God could not have given us more than he gave us when he gave us Jesus. He gave us everything. It's through that sacrifice we can be saved. And it's through the sacrifices that we can make in this world that others might come to the same saving faith in Jesus Christ. But before you can sacrifice for the sake of others, you've got to know the sacrifice that was made for you. Jesus gave everything to save you. He poured out his life. He took on sinful flesh. He stood in your place in death. 
the death and the judgment and the wrath and the condemnation against sin that we deserve, Christ has taken that upon himself so that you and I, by repentance, we can turn from our sins, we can put our faith in Jesus, and we can be raised to new life in his name. And so it's my prayer for my life, for you, for the life of our church this morning, that we would be burdened to boldly sin and to serve and to sacrifice, that we would display the same humility to this world that was poured out through the example of Jesus and Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, and that by thinking of ourselves less, our world would think of Jesus Christ all the more. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for these faithful examples of humility. Father, we thank you most for the example of humility demonstrated for us through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up and who made himself nothing who completely poured himself out and emptied himself so that we could be raised to new life in his name. Father, we thank you for the example of those who have faithfully served not just the single local church, but the church globally. Father, would we be individuals, would we be a congregation that that holds everything you give us with open hands, that we would be eager to send, we would be eager to serve, we would be eager to sacrifice for the sake of those who need encouragement, for the sake of those who need to hear the truth of who you are. Father, burden us for the brokenness of this world. Burden us for the lostness of this world. Let us use every opportunity you give us as a church family to continue driving forward what it is you've called us to do. Father, everything that's here, we hold it with an open hand today. It all belongs to you. Lord, I pray that we would, as a church, we would hold our resources with open hands. We would hold our people with open hands. Lord, for all of us here, that we would hold our lives with open hands. We would hold our homes with open hands. We would hold our finances with open hands. We would see it all, first and foremost, as a gift given to us by you to be stewarded for your glory. Lord, we pray that through our sacrifice for the sake of others, the world would see the sacrifice you made for us as we put the gospel on display in everything that we do. So, Father, be glorified this morning as we sing, as we worship. Pray that this would be a sweet aroma to you today. Be glorified in the praises of your people. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.